to I Decided 2023. When I started these podcasts 12 months ago, I didn't know where they would lead to, but we've had some amazing conversations with some incredibly interesting people who decided to live above average. Each month I'll be having a conversation with someone where they decided to do something special with their life. They decided to live out of the ordinary and move into something that I believe is extraordinary. I thank them for their time and I thank them for the input and I know you're going to enjoy listening to the conversation that I have with them. Now let me introduce you to some friends of mine, some people that I've had the opportunity to be able to coach, some long-term friends that I've able to live my life with and some very truly dynamic people. Welcome Michelle and thank you for spending some time with me today in our I Decided Conversations. One of the key things that I always want to achieve out of this is I want to encourage people to live a little bit beyond average. You know, to think of their life and the decisions that they'll make in their life as they approach them with a bit of courage and confidence and and a bit of can-do attitude and look at that in such a way to say, well, I don't have to let this opportunity go. Uh, it's a bit, it's a bit tough for me, but I can take it on, and yes. I, I'm equal to the, I'm equal to the challenge, and so that's, so what I'd love to kind of start today with in our conversation, is just a little bit of the Michelle McConnell story, and where things started, and where you are today is where we'll move to across the conversation, mm-hmm. but this is just an opportunity for for you to be able to tell your story and for us to be able to have a conversation to encourage our listeners. Lovely, thank you. And I, I'm really happy to be here. And um, uh, I guess, you know, from my perspective, I, I just want to acknowledge that we're on a Wabakal land, okay. first of all. Um, and I, uh, in terms of my early life, I had a very, very stable family life. Um, my parents were married um, all their lives, like uh, I think probably about 55 years. I grew up in one house, I went to one primary school, I went to one high school, uh, I got a scholarship to go to university and got an, uh, for my 18th birthday got a car off my parents. Um, they never fought, they never divorced or anything, so uh, it was a very, very stable life. We had a very nice village lifestyle where I grew up in a village and all the neighbours uh, supported my family and we were very close and and sort of celebrated lots of things in our neighbourhood together as a whole neighbourhood. So they were the things that I grew up sort of um, appreciating and wanting to be part of. And so I actually, I got halfway through my degree and took off to Queensland for a bit of fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To try and break the stability? (laughs) I thought... Challenge the norm? There's got to be more to, to life than this stability. So I took off to Queensland. And that was a, a nice, exciting time. But I did, I did come home to the family and and to where I uh, grew up. I had a, a couple of sort of jobs that weren't really me until I was about thirty-seven, and I ended up going back to study. But I did a diploma in community services at TAFE, and it was fabulous. I, I loved every minute of it because it was really practical. It wasn't theory-based like the the things I had done at university. So tell me about your first journey into university. What was the major there that you were moving to? I actually had a, a scholarship from the Teachers College okay. to do a degree, at just a Bachelor of Science degree at university and then do a dip it at the, at the college. So the idea of moving into teaching was the, oh, the first launch? I always wanted to be a teacher, a nun or a librarian. Very boring jobs. <laughs> 
or not the teaching. But um, no, I didn't end up. Um, well, the nun might have not been boring either. Might not have. You never, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I sort of got halfway through that. And I'd come straight from high school, so I think I was a little bit burnt out from studying, and um, that's yeah. when, when I took off for adventures in in Queensland. And I eventually came back home. Yeah, I did a couple of I did one retail retail job. I seemed to stick. I seemed to stick to things. Yep. Um, but then uh, I had sort of some life changing events when I turned thirty. I went back to TAFE did the diploma in community science, and I loved every second of that. As I said. I had a placement at the university, at the Family Action Centre. Um, Is that Newcastle University? Newcastle University, yeah. yeah. So I was sort of returning back to university in one way or shape or form. And I worked for a, a wonderful organisation called the Family Action Centre. And I had a, a great mentor. Her name was Marilyn Barnes. Anyway, Home Start was... Um, was where I ended up. It was a, It's an organisation. It's it's actually a volunteer home visiting model, and it was founded by a woman in Leicester in England in 1973. It's a parent to parent support model, and so for me it, it resonated because I mm. I as a child I saw my neighbours supporting my mother and father and the whole family. So it worked for me, and I really liked it. I was on placement there and. And then in the February of 1997, I got a phone call to say there's a job going in Home Start, you should go for it. So I thought, yep, yeah, I'll do that. I started as an assistant coordinator and then I became a coordinator six weeks later. It was during that time as a six-week coordinator that I realised that's what this is where I want to be. So that was 1997. I got the opportunity to go to Sheffield to study Home Start. Did my coordinators training in Sheffield and then my senior coordinators training in Sheffield. And then when we came back, I was a coordinator for a long, long time in, in various hunter areas. And eventually I became the senior coordinator for the hunter. And after that, I became the national project officer. And then after that, I became the CEO. So that's the 26 years in a nutshell. That's the, the broad brush. That's the broad brush, yes. Okay, so let's go back and revisit portions yes. of that. Um, so initially, you'd finished your TAFE course. Mm -hmm. Was there a particular person at that point of time who also inspired you and encouraged you to say, you can do this, you know, this is, this is really in line, Michelle, yeah. with who you are? That would be Marilyn. That was the, the manager of the family Action Centre Home Start Program. What did you admire about Marilyn? Marilyn had done um, a leadership course in India. She was a really gentle leader. She, she didn't lead um, from the front, she led from behind. And she, uh, she never appeared to um, use any power, but people always wanted to do, mm. to please her. And I wanted to please her too. I made the big mistake once of saying to her very early in the piece, I'll do anything, but just don't let me be bored. <laughs> and so I found myself... Yeah, that's a dangerous kind of question. <laughs> I found myself up on the Wollombi Mountains in the middle of winter with no tent and all these um, early school leavers right. as the only female sort of supervisor. 
And I found myself up on the river in the Hunter Valley at a children's camp as the only female supervisor. So um, lots of things uh, and eventually, uh, you know, got to go overseas and do presentations at different conferences and things like that, which was outside my comfort zone. So So it it seems like that early teaching degree Mm-hmm. didn't satisfy the desire inside for experiential learning more than just you know face-to-face teaching learning and there was something that was just a little bit dormant inside yeah. that that kind of awoken yeah. when you were in that in that space of the the new role the new direction that you took well the beautiful thing about where I ended up in in Homestart is that you still get to do um, education yes you still yeah, that's a great people. grounding yeah, yeah. Um, so in that sense, it was, it provided me with, um, challenges Mm -hmm. and it, it was different every single day. Mm -hmm. It was never the same. And I quite enjoyed that sort of challenge. Teaching, I I love training and I love teaching and, um, or educating, but, um, I just always felt like there was, you know, a a circumstance where I could be learning Mm. and teaching. You know, if I was teaching sort of little children, I would learn a lot about little children, but not much about, you know, the world in general. So this job gave me the opportunity to travel and to learn a lot about um, myself, but also to learn about different cultures and, mm. and to learn from really, really incredible people all around the world. Mm. There's often a, a bit of a crisis point that where people in their early 30s, in their early 40s, and mm. sometimes in their early 50s, mm. where they get to this little consequential time mm-hmm. where they say, yeah, life's not exactly working out the way I wanted it to, and, and this, this career doesn't inspire me. Mm. I need to reinvent myself. Yes. And when we're in that process of reinvention and redefining and and uh, reigniting passion that's inside of it. Mm-hmm. What were some of the key ingredients that actually aroused passion mm-hmm. for the current career choice now that you've invested the rest of your life in? Well, it, it, essentially it was um, one thing was that sort of motivated me was that it was never going to be the same on a daily basis. Okay. Always Lots very, of very different and Lots of variety. When you work with families who are vulnerable and when you work with volunteers mm-hmm. um, and you try and link them together, there's all sorts of things happen. Um, uh, but what inspired me was um, people are, are really good. Mm-hmm. You know, I think essentially people have enormous strengths that they don't know and they don't tap into. So I think um, Marilyn, my mentor, taught me to... Um, seize the opportunity mm-hmm. to seize the opportunities and and step outside my comfort zone which mm-hmm. i found invigorating and exciting even though it was terrifying half the time mm-hmm. you know i found myself in this situation and i thought how on earth did i end up here and uh but it was it was really really satisfying and when you see um what the results of this program can be um that was I think what inspired me most that vulnerable families still open their door to you and volunteers who think they have no skills can do the most miraculous Mm. things just by being there and it's those little tiny things that we do in our day-to-day life I think that sometimes add up to big miracles and that's what we do. 
one of the companies that I had over my life was uh, a lift company and we worked with limited mobility access. Mm -hmm. So there was a um, early, very early, I was only going a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and there was a lady that I put in a chairlift for. Yep. When uh, I'd finished the job, I was all very proud of it, all really excited about it, but I was only thinking about the technical aspect oh. of what I'd done yes. and that now she could be very safe on the stairs. Mm -hmm. So I finished the job and I invited her to come out and, and she popped on the stair lift and she rode the, the stair lift down to the bottom of the stairs completely safe and, and she's got a grin that's like a split watermelon. Yep. You know, she is so excited. Yep. And then she went over to her garden, she leant over, she picked a flower up and she yep. smelled the flower and said, I haven't been downstairs for eight weeks and she incredible. starts crying yes. and I start crying <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I could do this for the rest of my life. Absolutely, yeah. And these are these little defining moments yes. and, and it, for 16 years then we put in thousands of, of units which really changed people's lives. So is there a defining moment, a mm -hmm. defining story yep. who you were able to touch in the space you're in, which is kind of, it's still there, that story's still there in your heart and it's part yes. of the reason you still do what you do today. There's a, there's a couple of things that come to mind, but I think the real defining story for me was when I was a, a coordinator, I linked a volunteer with a family in the Hunter Valley. We came to know about this family through the Fulton Family Health Nurse because the baby wasn't thriving. So we went out and I met this family and, and talked to this family and she had a, a brand new baby and her husband worked really long hours, but she also had three other children one of whom um, was autistic and on, on the spectrum. And she, over time, had become quite depressed and quite anxious and, and very, very lonely and isolated. And at that point in her life, she would get up and put the television on. She wouldn't mm. go outside. She just kept to herself. And, you know, the kids would get picked up to go to school, but she wouldn't go out. And mm. Anyway, uh, we worked with her, I, I linked a volunteer with her and we worked with her for a number of months and that's the thing about Homestart, it, you can, it's a gift of time, you can give any amount of time to, to people, over. sometimes for us it's lifelong, but generally it's 6 to 12 months, but we worked with this family for a number of months and then I got this phone call from the volunteer and she said, um, she ran me up, she was so excited and she said, Michelle, when I when I pulled up today, the blinds were open. And that was like something we celebrated, yeah. really yeah. big time. And then a couple of months after that, the mum was out of her pyjamas yeah. when she arrived. And then not long after that, she was out on the veranda waiting for her. So, you know, it took a long, long time, but that's what I love is that you can just, if you commit and you're with somebody for a period of time and you, sort of let them know what their strengths are, their lives do change. Mm. And it's just very ordinary. It's it's what human beings do for each other all the time. But it makes it, if, if you don't have that sort of person or that support, it's very hard. It's exciting when you watch people let life back in again. Oh, mm. it, it's just incredible. And mm. it seems like such a tiny thing. In our organisation, we celebrate a little boy cleaning his teeth. Mm. You know, we celebrate all sorts of things because... Those little things are really, really important and motivating. It sounds silly to say we still celebrate, you know, these things like the blinds being opened or the little boy cleaning his teeth. Or We know lots of mothers whose little babies have never been held by another person. And, you know, when we can say, oh, your baby's beautiful, 
the parents just beam because no one's ever said that to them before. It's really, you know, it's really powerful. So where, where are some of the biggest challenges you find as an organisation? Mm -hmm. And then the next question we'll talk about is what some of the biggest challenges are you find personally. Okay. But, but yeah. as an organisation, what's, what's one of your, your great challenges that really could potentially swamp you, mm -hmm. but you've got to work through it and you know to get the results you, you want, mm -hmm. this has to be, you've got to beat this problem yeah. and be focused more on solution yeah. than, than issue. Our biggest problem, of course, was funding, being able to sort of continue with the work because it's not a, an entirely volunteer organisation. You have to have a professional worker to yeah. manage um, all of the sort of um, the families and the, and the volunteers and train them, etc. Mm -hmm. So funding was a big issue. And, and what I found out about oh, probably 10 years ago was... To make that work for us, we had to diversify the service that we provide. We have several models now. We have professional family workers, volunteer home visiting. We have parenting coordinators. We have supported playgroup workers. We have a whole range of service models that we offer. But we maintain the voluntary home visiting philosophy and our organisation is based in, in the parent-to-parent -parent support theory. And that's, that's a beautiful... Uh, diversifying income streams mm -hmm. in a business mm -hmm. is the critical aspect of growth and development. Mm -hmm. Diversifying in an NGO means that as the as the NGO grows, it's constantly reinventing itself as it finds further need. Yeah, and, and what I love about it is like everybody's needs are different. Correct. So if you've diversified, you can normally find the sort of model that fits that family. And you create more doorways yeah. into your organisation for people to be able to enter through that you can help. And a lot of them are about just engaging the families initially because a lot of them have really complex issues. So engaging with services is difficult. But if you provide a supported playgroup or you, know, you have um, some social events and you can offer them a volunteer who isn't paid to visit them, it's a really soft entry to engaging with that family. And then, you know, oftentimes they will work with the professional family worker and stuff like that. Every single business, every single NGO also faces some, some tough times, some, yeah. some different directions, some change of policy, mm -hmm. change of, of direction. Mm. And what's, what's a couple of the bigger ones that you've had to face and, and then work through? There was a big one around about 2005 when the when you change governments, the policies often change as well, or the the framework. So you, then you start to have to work through a different framework. So around about 2005 to between 2005 and 2008, the government decided that the money they were spending on the volunteer home visiting model would best be spent on a professional home visiting model and so we decided that that's the way we would go. Over many years I had to negotiate with government people to let us add volunteer home visiting to that contract which is what we eventually ended up with. And it's like you know it, it's a little bit about in all honesty our, our volunteer home visiting service was a two-tiered service. We had a professional coordinator and a volunteer with each family mm -hmm. but it was the language around saying that to government yeah we had to change our service model and then gradually try and, and sort of drag back 
our right to have the volunteers. Mm. You were going to aim and adapt. Yes, yeah, and we adapted. Yep. Um, but we had the aim and we still have... Actually, in Newcastle, we have a very good volunteer home visiting service at these Pure Homes start. We tried not to have it um, because we didn't have the funding. And my colleague Val Watson and I, we kept getting referrals from agencies and we kept getting requests for a volunteer and we kept getting people ring up and say, I want to volunteer. And after about, oh, I guess about nine months of that, we thought, oh, you can't kill this with a stick, so we'll do it. <laughs> and we got a little bit of foundation money and, and then we sort of brought Homestart back to Newcastle. So explain to me the multifaceted dimension of how Homestart really helps people. Oh, Homestart, it's, it's very, very hard to explain because it's so simple, but it's incredibly powerful. It's, it's what we do naturally. We, we recruit, train, support and supervise normally parents from the community and we link them with vulnerable families and those families honestly the types of issues families face is just infinite they just face everybody has a different issue or different set of issues and difficulties and sometimes it can be lack of support sometimes it can be mental health depression it can be multiple children being just overwhelmed. It can be that they were poorly parented themselves and they've never had a good role model as a parent. So we offer them this very non-invasive, very friendly uh, person who offers friendship and practical support. So it relieves some of the tension in the house. You know, the parents got someone to talk to and someone to, you know, a lot of our families won't go out by themselves. And when they've got someone with them, they will. So it brings them back into the community. My personal belief mm -hmm. is that family mm -hmm. is the smallest element of community. Yes. So if we get family right, yep. we can see community change. Absolutely. And community 100%. can be communities can be rebuilt mm -hmm. if we get the family unit strong. Yes. And I think to we we're a um, prevention through early intervention model so we believe that if you go in really really early and sometimes that's pre-birth like we, you know, we do a lot of perinatal support then you can sometimes break that that cycle that might lead to a, an unfortunate sort of life for some children sometimes that's it may just be that their parent you know parents have never been parented well themselves so you know there's a there's no example to there's live no off. example and yeah. um, and so that just can you know there's a cycle there and it just regenerates every yeah. every generation. So we believe if we can help parents to discover uh, the joy of parenting and how to parent well and to enjoy their family life, then uh, we can break that cycle. It's so easy to, to establish mm -hmm. rather than redo. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. economically it makes perfect yes. sense. Yeah. You know. Hickman once said that you could save $7 down the other end. I think it's about, it must be about $19 down the other end now. Oh, for every dollar spent yeah. in, in prevention yeah. is so much better than the millions of dollars spent in cure. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and it changes people's lives. Their, well, that's their the bigger. Trajectory. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. the bigger advantage is, yeah. is that early intervention creates a better trajectory yeah. for the development yeah. down the track. We've had volunteers say to us that Homestart saved their soul. We've had parents say, I wouldn't have my children if it wasn't for Homestart. 
Um, it's it's real. It's and it's not um, you know it's not this big spectacular sort of thing that you do. It's just the care and commitment and reliability. And we we role model how to be a good friend because many of these mothers have never had a good friend. They've just been exploited all their lives or kicked mm. in the teeth every time they've put themselves out there. And so they don't know how to be a friend or have a healthy relationship. Mm. So we actually can role model that. We can role model how to communicate with children and how to have fun with children. We've had a parent say, I didn't know I was supposed to play with him. Enjoy it. Yeah, because they're often so ground down in their in their complications and their problems and their issues that just surviving day to day is mm. enough. And they've forgotten, you know, the joy of parenting. Mm. And our volunteers try and bring that back. It's a powerful uh, change when when family comes back to focus. Absolutely powerful change, but it, it's so simple. It's not that we go in and we've got hammer and tongs and we can things. It's just being side by side with people that makes a difference and, and making them feel like they're not alone. When I'm working with people in business, mm -hmm. I often find there's about six to ten mm -hmm. main problems yep. that you would find in most businesses. Yes. However, those problems are expressed uniquely mm -hmm. in that business. Mm -hmm. So it's not like that business has the same problems as another business. Mm -hmm. However, the root cause of those... Yes is the same yes and those root causes produce the fruit problems yes. that we see down there so what would be say five root problems mm -hmm. you would see across the people that you work with that even everybody could be looking out for and aware of and then be able to either steer them towards your organization mm -hmm. or steer them towards being themselves mm -hmm. um, if they're appropriately able to mm -hmm. to be able to support families that are struggling yeah I think in terms of our families, um, the lack of support, like we get a lot of people from different countries, we okay. get a lot of women escaping domestic violence, we get um, uh, a lot of people who are disenfranchised from their family for various reasons. So I think uh, lack of support, um, loneliness and isolation, but I think um, also mental health for us. We get a lot of mums who are so anxious. You know, they're on the internet all the time, seeing the seeing these beautiful people coping really well and wondering why they're not, and trying to live up to that perfect parent thing yeah. that you see on the internet all the time. And that's why our volunteers they can go and say, "I remember that." You know, that's hell, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and and normalise some of the difficulties of parenting yeah. because they don't actually see that. They don't have the network to share those problems, and and our volunteers will share the problem the, the problems with them, but they also actually um, share the joy. And if you've got no one to share the joy with, then it's, it doesn't happen to mm. have somebody who says, oh, she's just like you, she's, she's very beautiful, mm. or, you know, you're doing a great job, or sees a child take their first steps. Mm. You know, if you see that by yourself, it's wonderful, but not if, you know, you can't share it with somebody. That's right, yeah. So it's that, mental health is a big one, but... But I think the fact that people are so mobile now and they move from area to area and job to job, that they don't have long-term relationships with people anymore. Yeah, society's more transient. Very, yeah, very yeah. mobile. And we get a lot of people from different countries who come here and at first, for the first 12 weeks or so, they might be um, supported by different services. But then 
they're on their own and they might have a new they might have a new baby they, they child might go start school uh, they have to do a tax return they have to fill in Centrelink forms they know nothing about our systems or where to find a good doctor so our volunteers can help them with all that stuff and yeah. it's stress reducing and ignorance in those spaces can often create embarrassment it can create that further isolation or withdrawal or you know just well i don't fit in kind of mindset so and they're often really homesick yeah and they need someone to talk about their home mm. you know and to say i'm homesick i miss my mother so you know it's little things it's nothing spectacular that we do well this is this is the most important thing of, of for everyone to understand a role is that probably five percent of someone's role across their life mm -hmm. will be spectacular yeah, yeah. but 95 percent mm. will just be significant yes yeah and it's about finding the significance yes of what it is that we do yes and how have you found that over the years for yourself mm -hmm. is is feeling the significance of the changes you've made what's it done for you on the inside what's it done for me it's made me very aware that people are magical you know that they okay. really People can do anything they want mm -hmm. and people have the strengths and they have the possibilities um, to endure or to produce or create, mm -hmm. you know, they just have have it there. Mm -hmm. And and what I, you know, have found is like that inspires me. People who can get out of bed in the morning considering their what they've got to face that day, mm -hmm. who can get out of their bed in the morning and open the door to you, that's inspirational. But people and the volunteers, they, they often say, oh, I don't think I'm doing much. But they're really, like, they're committed and they mean so much to the families. And I just think they, they all have something miraculous to offer. So how does someone become a volunteer? Uh, you just have to ring us up. We don't just have anybody as a volunteer. Okay, so there's a screening and a training there's process? There's a screening and it's a 10-week training course. Okay. It's only one day a week. But we cover... Things like boundaries, confidentiality, child protection, child development. We do early brain development, trauma-informed practice. Because a lot of our parents have had a traumatic sort of experience or traumatic childhood. And so it's important to understand why people behave the way they do. We do postnatal depression and all sorts of things. Mm. The importance of fathers. We do some work around that because a lot of fathers have become invisible. You know, people don't place enough importance on what a father or a grandfather means to a child. Yeah, it's a, it's a great course. And then we link them with an appropriate or a family relevant to their skills and their, and their sort of personality. But we monitor that link really closely. And we don't just sort of take our hands off the wheels once they're introduced and say, oh, off you go, support each other or support this family. We do regular reviews at four visits and then you know regularly after that until the time that the family feels that they've because what we try and do is give them a network of support so they don't need us yeah and and that's our aim is that they have a, a network of peers or a network of community support services that um, give them confidence to go forward so they they don't need their home start volunteer anymore what would be a typical commitment required mm -hmm. by somebody who decided to be a volunteer? We ask for six to 12 months. It seems like a really big commitment, but sometimes with our families, it takes 12 months to gain that trust and that commitment, I guess, from the family to, to want to open up to a volunteer. 
They have to trust the volunteer. It has to be rewarding for everybody. And how many hours per week would they need to be committed two, into? Only two or three hours a two week. Two or three hours a yeah, week. Yeah, okay. yeah. But, and people say, well, what difference can that make? But, you know, sometimes families hang on because they know their volunteer's coming on Tuesday. There we are, okay, she'll come on Tuesday, you know. Yeah, yeah it's interesting how how people are, just have the desire to connect. Oh, and, it's human nature. Yeah. And, and I think that's the beauty of the program. It's sad that we have to negotiate these relationships in a way but it's human nature to want to mm. connect and to want to help each other and to be valuable and the families often once they're finished with Homestart they will become a volunteer because they want to sort of repay the organisation or be that for somebody else. So how many years now have you been in this role? In this particular role as a in, CEO? In the organisation and you're CEO now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so... 26 years. Six, 26 years. 27th of February, 1997. Well done. Yeah. Okay. It's a joy. And what, what are your thoughts around succession planning? I mean, you have a, you have a wonderful desire mm-hmm. to serve, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing that's not right now at, at the end of, its, end of its season. Three years to go. Okay, <laughs> so the three years. So mm-hmm. what would you look to bring someone into mm-hmm. essentially replace you but succeed you in mm-hmm. what it is you do and what qualities would you look when you're looking for uh, your succession plan yeah i guess you know um there's a lot of decision making and a lot of um organizing to do so they have to have that capacity but someone younger than me who um has a lot more energy i'd, I'd love that i actually have a succession plan so, good. <laughs> you know, somebody who is a really good leader and somebody who is passionate about families and children, that's really important. Uh, I guess to somebody who can inspire and motivate others and who's not scared to give people opportunity to try something. So in our organisation, if you try something and you make a mistake, that's okay. We're a learning organisation, so you can, um, if you're willing to give it a go, then you'll have the opportunity to give it a go. That's why a lot of our volunteers, like our chairperson on the board was originally a volunteer. Then she became a coordinator. Uh, she now works for a homeless service, but she's our chairperson still. We have a lot of people who've been with the organisation for over 20 years. So what size is your board? It's a small board. It's only five people. They've all... Uh, other than the treasurers, they've mm. all had a history with Homestar. Well, Michelle, it's <laughs> it's there's still three powerful years ahead, and oh. there is still potential influence mm. yes. back into the organisation far beyond that. Mm. Yeah. But the reality is, one day, yeah. your life is going to be reduced to a sentence, maybe a paragraph. Oh wow! And and people will say something about yes Michelle and her role and what she did in there. They, there might even be a little plaque made Ooh. or something in that order. And and sometimes, you know, if we consider that our life would be reduced to a sentence or a paragraph, yeah. what would you like that sentence or paragraph oh, to say? I guess it would be that um, she made my life better. That's simple. It is, Nothing. and it's powerful. Yeah, yeah, you know. I guess that, that comes from my mentor. She made my life richer. I remember looking back at my own life. Mm-hmm. 
and a man who shaped me was a, a tradesman that I had and I'd made a mistake yeah. and I was feeling down on myself because I'd made a mistake and, yeah. and he said to me oh and he said don't worry about that uh -huh. he said my role is to turn you out better yes. than I am yes yeah and the power the power of that statement it's start we trained 23 apprentices over the years uh -huh. and in a former business that I had and I loved that that was my motto yeah. was his off-the-cuff statement yes yeah and and we hear these rich so What's a, what's one bit of advice uh -huh. now that you would pass on mm -hmm. to someone considering working in your space? I think it's important to value choice. So if you don't value choice, then you can't work with families who say they have no choice. It's also like never come from fear. Don't not do something because you're afraid you might look like a fool or because you are afraid that someone else won't like it. Or Courage is not being afraid. Courage is facing your fears and doing it anyway. Yeah, and, and that's what I would say is like, don't yeah. make decisions based in fear. Like if you if you want to go there, then go there, and you'll ninety nine percent of the time you'll find that mm. it actually works out. Mm. And normally things do, and that's and I believe that wholeheartedly. That you know, if you're trying and if you are coming from the right place, it usually works out. Yeah, motivation, attitude, those things are incredibly critical in. Absolutely. And yeah. believing in people's strengths and, and being able to identify them and then giving them the opportunity to mm. use them. That's mm. really important, I think. Thank you so much for your time, Michelle, and thank you for having a conversation with me. One of the things you said earlier is that you had a, you had a leader that was in your life that yes. led from behind. Yes. Well, if I look at your life and mm -hmm. just after our conversation today and, and conversations that I've had with other people who, who know you, yes, I would say you lead holistically and what I mean by that is you lead from the front mm -hmm. you lead from beside and you lead from behind oh that's very kind <laughs> and that, that's lovely <laughs> and the picture of your leadership mm -hmm. is a quality that's going to allow others to be enveloped in your leadership and then that will lead them into a future where they can create again an imagination of a life that's not yet Oh, that's so kind of you just to put it like that. It's, yeah. and, and that's actually what I hope for, is that people yeah. take opportunities and have the best life they can have. It's been a privilege to have a conversation with you today. And, I, and as part of community, I want to thank you for the investment that you're making into the lives of reshaping community and, and having a real holistic approach and finding the people that other people are not looking at and then focusing on them thank you. so that they can become the best that they can be. So. Well, it's given me the opportunity to try to be the best I can be because it is, it's really rewarding, mm -hmm. you know, being part of the community sector and, and supporting families and little children is mm. really, really rewarding. Yeah, because yeah. every one of their lives has an opportunity to be reshaped. doesn't matter yes. where they start, it's where they finish that matters. Yes. And, you, and trajectory changes that and you're changing absolutely. trajectory. Thank so. you. Yeah. Thanks, Amy. You're very so, kind. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your time. My and, pleasure. And thanks for this chance to be able to have a conversation. And I thank you that you decided in your life to make a living and a difference. And that difference is going to have repercussions uh, for a legacy that will last for a very, very, very long time. Thank you so much for saying that. You're very kind, <laughs> I appreciate your time. All right. Bless you, Bonnie. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening to one of our I Decided podcasts. And the conversation that we've just had with Michelle was just wonderful. 
I look forward to catching up with you again next month where we'll bring you a very interesting conversation. Until then, go well, make a living and make a difference. I really want to encourage you to plan a life you want to live in and create a business on purpose so you can change not only your life but the trajectory of someone else's life.